Hey dear, are you about ready to start recording? I can't believe she spent all evening away from the rest of the family. Definitely rude. Well, time to shake it off and record. Yeah, let's get started. What's with him? He seems so irked. I just spent all evening working on the Chrysalis birthday party, which he didn't even help with. Okay, you got all your accolades done? Probably at the last minute. I certainly did. Why would we be here otherwise? Oh, hey, wait. I got so caught up in birthday party stuff. Did he put both kids to bed? Now that I'm here in the closet, I'm noticing all these streamers and party favors. Oh, crap, the boys' birthdays. She must have done so much work on it. What a lady. Hey, I I love you a whole bunch. I love you, too. Ready to talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first of our two-part episodes covering Defenders vs. Avengers. Or as the storyline is called, the uh, Avengers Defenders War. Darn it! Darn it! Yeah! Avengers Defenders. It's right on my paper in front of me. (laughs) See, I wanted to say Defenders first because it's the least familiar to me and I didn't want to forget it. And you know what? The Avengers come first so much that, you know, the Defenders just needed... I have no good explanation. You know, I've heard that the Avengers <laughs> legislative body didn't even vote to declare this one, so I think we're going to have to call it the Avengers Defenders Conflict. Oh, because it wasn't a declared war. Yeah, it's more of like an Avengers sort of action, I think, than like a, a mm-hmm. real actual declared war, which I don't think has ever happened in in comics. I love the nuance of political discourse <laughs> that this event brings about. <laughs> At least for us, I guess. <laughs> So this is this is a this is an older one. This is a bronze bronze age comic uh-huh. crossover. Now, readers, if you like me recall when we first started this podcast, mm-hmm. Chris said, "Okay, Christy, we're going to cover the very first crossover event ever, the mm-hmm. first one." So when he said we were going to do this, and I was like, "He's like," I was like, "Wait, this is this is older than Secret Wars." Mm-hmm. You. You lied to me. Oh, I've lied to you tons. You lied. It's like in science class uh-huh. when you learn about a thing and then you take another science class and they're like, remember when they taught you this thing? Well, they just kind of dumbed it down for you. And now I'm going to teach you the real stuff. Yeah. So at the uh, th- this literally happened to me at one, in, in college. At the very beginning of a college course, they wanted to drill into us that you can't prove anything. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, the, the things are always changing. The nature of science is very amorphous. Mm-hmm. Nothing is provable. Yes. And then, like, on the last day, he's like, you know, I never brought up one thing to you, which is nothing is disprovable either. And we were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah, to disprove something, it, it is to prove. So if you can't prove anything. Mm-hmm. You can't disprove it. It's anything. just more like you can be you can be reasonably certain about something. <laughs> And that's about, that's about as good as you can get. That's why they teach you that test-taking strategy that any of the multiple-choice am- answers that have absolute language in it are wrong. That's Anything true. that says always or never, those are wrong. Those are never the right answer. Yeah, like um, you once gave me a multiple-choice quiz to date you. And there was a bit in it that said, 
um, never deny me snacks. Uh, and I had to put false that I had to sometimes deny you snacks because it's, you know, it's an absolute. I don't recall <laughs> putting that into the multiple choice questionnaire for dating me. <laughs> and I do recall that you scored very highly on it. You had top marks. <laughs> you know, just sometimes I have to tell you no snacks. You know, past Christy probably put that in to safeguard current Christy. And I can respect her for that because... <laughs> I do not want to admit to you the amount of snacks that I ate as soon as I got home before you got here oh, really? in like the 20 minutes that I'd been here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this is me <laughs> saying I'm not admitting yeah, it. This... <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> like, we're done here. We're done. Snacks were had. Uh-huh. Well, with snacks being had and uh, the Avengers Defenders conflict on the horizon, do we want to get into this summary? Yeah, summary. Avengers number 115, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by William Robert Brown, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Gene Is lettered by Gene Izzo, and edited by Roy Thomas. So most of this issue is only kind of a prologue to this entire event, so let's go quickly. The Avengers are on the way to England to find their missing comrade, the Black Knight. Obviously, the Black Knight lives in a massive castle, so they're heading there instead of, you know, telephoning ahead. They are stopped by British S.H.I.E.L.D., who are mad that they have the former villain Swordsman on their Quinjet. The Avengers convince the feds that Swordsman is a good guy now, and that seems to placate them. They arrive at Garrett Castle, where they do not find the Black Knight, and instead find a magical, impenetrable barrier. They all try to break it with no success until Mantis uses her ill-defined powers to figure out that Doctor Strange put the barrier up. Suddenly, underground-dwelling troglodytes pop out of the ground and attack the Avengers. It's looking pretty good for our heroes, until the cavemen hit the heroes with some gas that makes everyone pass out. The baddies drag the heroes to their king, a man named Skull. The troglodytes explain that they're descendants of oppressed peasants who sought shelter underground, but also demand to know why the barrier went up as they used to sneak into the castle to steal food. Obviously, our heroes don't know why, and the King Skull throws them into a pit where they're beset by a weird ant monster. They thrash this creature, and the troglodytes douse the lights and prepare to kill the Avengers themselves. But Black Panther seeks out the troglodytes and beats the tar out of them, leading to a surrender. The Avengers get the troglodytes' actual medical care and other resources and fly off in search of their companion. In a little code a story, Loki encounters Dormammu, who offers an accord. Dormammu seeks the six pieces of a shattered artifact called the Evil Eye, which will allow him to devour the Earth. Dormammu seeks an alliance with Loki, to which Loki agrees if Dormammu restores his recently lost eyesight. The die is cast. Defenders Issue 8, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Frank McLaughlin, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered... <laughs> I put lettered. Lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Charlotte Jetter. Edited by Roy Thomas. Okay, most of the story is dedicated to wrapping up a tale in which the villains, the Red Ghost and Atuma, have mind-controlled Namor the Submariner, who attacks and defeats Hawkeye and Valkyrie, leading to their capture. 
Doctor Strange contacts all his Defenders' comrades as he thinks he has a way to save the Black Knight, who has previously been turned to stone by the Enchantress. However, Namor and Valkyrie don't respond, which concerns him. Hulk and Silver Surfer, however, arrive to assist. Hulk seems to remember where they went, but also doesn't really want to help, so Doctor Strange puts him in a trance and he reveals the kidnapping. Strange and Silver Surfer speed off to find their friends mind-controlled and attacking Atlantis. Doctor Strange learns through Valkyrie's mind what is precisely going on, and also that Red Ghost's powers, including his mind control, stem from cosmic rays. Strange and Surfer temporarily block all cosmic rays from entering the Earth, which breaks the mind control. Our heroes handily defeat Red Ghost and Atuma, and all's well until... Doctor Strange reveals the turned-to-stone Black Knight and says he can send a message to the Knight's psyche, trapped in ethereal space. He does so, and in spaces between realities, the Black Knight attempts to send a panicked response. The response, however, is intercepted by Dormammu and Loki, who alter the message to state the Black Knight can only be saved by reuniting the pieces of the evil eye. Uh-oh. Avengers 116, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by William Robert Brown, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Roy Thomas. The Avengers, having learned about the Black Knight, arrive at the Sanctum Sanctorum seeking answers. However, the defenses of the Sanctorum, including Wong, keep the Avengers out, but not before they see the Black Knight turn to stone. They leave in a huff. Loki seemed a bit ticked at Dormammu for not already restoring his sight, and through some Doctor Strange incantations, we also get a little backstory on the evil eye from an issue of Fantastic Four. Also, the locations of the six pieces are revealed— Rurutu in the Polynesians, Osaka, Japan, Monterey, Mexico, Sucre, Bolivia, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and L.A. The Defenders decide to split up, with Hulk going to L.A., Valkyrie and Hawkeye heading to Mexico and Bolivia, Surfer off to Rurutu, and Namor to Osaka. Strange stays to guard the night and will head to Indiana when someone else returns. Loki now fears that Dormammu is ultimately going to betray him and takes over Asgard once his earthly aims are accomplished. As such, Loki betrays him first, transporting himself to Avengers Mansion to tell the Avengers all about this plan that the uh, Defenders have to reunite the Evil Eye for some nefarious purpose. For some reason, they believe him, and they head off to the various places to counter the aims of the Defenders. Anyway, Surfer arrives at Rurutu, where some frankly racist Worship the Silver Guy stuff happens, before the Surfer discovers that the Eye is likely in the island's active volcano. He goes looking for it, just as Vision and Scarlet Witch arrive on the island. Using the power cosmic to dig a little, Surfer accidentally causes a minor eruption, which pretty seriously wounds Wanda. Vision, who was going to start with a friendly conversation, is now enraged, and the two wordlessly fight, beating the heck out of each other until the eye is suddenly seen. They both grab for it until Vision notices that the natives have placed Wanda in the path of the flowing lava for racist Silver Surfer worshipping reasons. Vision saves his love, which leads Surfer to grab the eyepiece and speed off. Defenders 1, Avengers 0. Defenders number 9, written by Steve Englehart, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Frank McLaughlin, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Artie Simek, and edited by Roy Thomas. Surfer shows up at the Sanctum to relay to Doctor Strange that the Avengers are working counter to their plans. Strange does a little scrying and senses the presence of Loki, and also the Swordsman, who was once a villain, but Strange doesn't know that. He concludes the Avengers are under the direction of evil. 
True to last issue's word, Strange heads to Indiana to grab the piece. Back on Rurutu, Vision explains to the other Avengers that the Defenders are totally evil now. Valkyrie drops Hawkeye off in Mexico, where the Archer quickly spies Iron Man flying around. Iron Man goes to a nearby university where a professor has the piece of the evil eye in his possession. Also, Shellhead takes a quick look, but not before a grappling arrow shoots through the window to grab the artifact. Anyway, the two heroes have a little fight, and Hawkeye is pretty outclassed power-wise. He's a sneaky guy, though, and uses a magnetic arrow to yank Iron Man's arm to one side as the Avenger shoots a repulsor, which ends up collapsing a construction site. Iron Man scrambles to save folks from the collapse, and Hawkeye uses that opportunity to split. Defenders 2, Avengers 0. In Indiana, Doctor Strange uses a little spell to find the eye rather quickly in a cornfield, but Black Panther and Mantis are on his trail. Black Panther uses his tracking abilities to find paths in the cornfield, while Mantis senses the presence of magic in a woman about to get on a bus. Mantis kicks this lady, shocking T'Challa, but the woman is Strange in disguise, who tries to fly off. Black Panther grabs him from the sky, but Strange fights him off, but also saves Black Panther from plummeting to the earth. As they fight, a nearby farmer tries to blast them with a shotgun. Mantis pushes them out of the way of the blast and then joins in a martial arts fight against Strange. Strange pulls an Indiana Jones using a spell to cause his opponents to simply collapse. He flies off with the eye. Defenders 3, Avengers 0. Uh, I did forget to mention um, in, in, our, in, our, in our intro that this was technically a Patreon reward. It was one of the, the voting ones, oh. but only one of them was, was suggested, so there was no point in voting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was a suggestion from a patron mm -hmm. for a Patreon vote that had one suggestion. Correct. This has happened several times. <laughs> <laughs> People just like to support us. They don't want to pick things. No. I don't... <sighs> In retrospect, I'm wondering if that was uh, if that was maybe like not a wonderful reward because like if your thing doesn't win, that's kind of sad. I mean, uh -huh. it's, it's too late now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. A retrospective. A retrospective. Yeah. Speaking of a retrospective, we are going roughly 40 years in the past to this comic. Yes, and it definitely has a lot of hallmarks of comics of the the era. True. Some slight, you know, racism just kind of ever present yep some sexism as well there's uh -huh. this bit where hawkeye like valkyrie like drops him off and then he just like grabs her and kisses her and she's like what the heck man and he's like bye toots and then she's like well maybe i kind of liked it a little and i'm like okay mm, yep 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 was not a fan of that either uh yeah. so that was out of the way uh, i mean the art was Pretty good. Like it's not like George I kind of love but... Bushema art. There, there are two Bushemas. There is a Sal, and there is a oh my god, a, a John. And are they related? I think they are brothers. Oh okay. Their art is really similar to me. Somebody's probably going to be like, no, it's completely different. John Bushema did the did the art and the like instructions on the how to draw com comics the Marvel way. Oh, okay. So to me, that is like standard the, the Marvel quintessential Marvel like. It is what I think of, like, you know, Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe now has that, that logo where it mm -hmm. shows, like, pics from all their movies and it does the bam, 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 bam. Well, but it used to just be, like, flicking pages. Uh-huh. And the flicking pages would have, like, comic art. And it always, to me, like, was, it probably was not always John Buscema art, but it always, like, had that quality to me. Mm -hmm. Also, I think the new, 
oh, well, this is not has anything to do. This is has nothing to do with this comic. Uh-huh. I think the new Marvel Cinematic Universe thing at the beginning just stinks. I hate it. I liked it better when it was just flicking pages. I thought the simplicity worked. Now it it it's so busy, and they have to do this like generic sounding. You know, I'm sure someone composed it, but like generic triumphant horns at the beginning of the, <laughs> the movies. I liked it better when it was just a noted. So next time we go to the movies, I'm just going to bring a comic book. <laughs> and during that time, I'm going to put it in front of your face and I'm going to flip through the pages. Oh, thank you. Just so you can get that <laughs> thank experience. You. We can so even bring your noise canceling headphones. Oh, so good. You won't have to hear triumphant horns. I don't want any triumphant horns. <laughs> no triumphant horns for you. Yeah. Only silence. <laughs> Only silence. No triumph. Well, no, I do need I do need the page turning noise. Oh, okay. The okay, yeah. okay. So we'll have to make sure that your noise canceling headphones are also hooked up to my phone, which will play. Mm. A vi- you know what? Maybe I just bring <laughs> the old recording, the old intro on my phone, and I just play that for you. Thank you. During there we go. So we I'll be like, shut off your phone. phone, and I'll be like, not yet. I need this. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, but it, it, and not only is the art pretty classic for the time, we also got a lot of words on the page. True. Uh, and this is, so Steve Englehart, we have not encountered yet. A lot of people really like Steve, but I, he, he is very much of a time and a place, um, where I feel like s- some of his later work is pretty heavily derided. Mm. But I don't think he, he ever like, he, he's like a comic fan's. Mm-hmm. Bronze Age excitement. Right. But I don't, like, I don't think I know, you know, like, if I ask my my dad who Steve Englehart is, my dad's not going to know. Right. I mean, th- this is not Claremont level of words on the page. No, it's much better than that. Uh, but it is decently wordy. They, they pack a lot into these pages. They do. And I found myself, I don't know, I feel like when there's a lot of words on the page, I want to do panel by panel because my eye just gets so distracted yeah. by so much happening. Mm. But also... The art for this doesn't work for panel by panel. You need to see the page. You do. The layouts are very much. So I read it twice, both ways. So four times total? No. No. One time each. Yes. Okay. And and because, like, I I would go through a page and I was like, okay, I've read it and now I need to look at it. Yeah. So it was like two read throughs a read through of the words and then interpreting the art. Yes. My brain couldn't do it all at once, Uh which. That could just be a function of my brain. No, they. I mean, comics did used to be wordier. It was one of the first things I noticed when I started reading them in like 2008. Mm-hmm. It would take me, I'd read like the, for example, like the first issue of Secret Invasion, Brian Michael Bendis, King of Decompression. Right. Took me probably less than 10 minutes to read, which some people are, some people are going to be upset with me because some people say you should spend longer with a comic and really, really sit with the art. You should read the words once and then just stare at the pictures for a while. Yes, correct. That's just like I do. I mean, it's very good. Yeah. I'm Um, reading it the right way. You're doing it great. (laughs) But then I tried to go back because I wanted to know Spider-Man's early stuff. Uh Uh-huh. So I was reading the Stanley Steve Ditko Spider-Man and I would just get exhausted by the end of an issue because Stan Lee really wrote a lot of words mm-hmm. and I feel like he kind of just set that template a little bit for people for a while like comics had to be wordy so what do you think the best ratio of speech bubble to art on a page is because every every speech bubble you have is covering up some art some precious art it's true and so the more you have the more you lose of that art so what's the what's that what's the Right equilibrium there. Um, 
Like Jim ten- Jim Starlin. Okay. Thanos Quest. No, I'm looking for like a percentage. I don't know. Like ten percent of no, the page you, covered by. You can't I make a blanket it, statement like that. I need it to be quantified. No, I, we need no. to. We need to go through. No. The podcast is not done yet. No, we're going to go through. <laughs> and we're going to rank every comic ever, ever, what? and then we're going to take the top ten ranked comics, and then we've got to calculate the amount of space covered up by text on a page. And find the average and determine. Okay, what's so we, the best. we can find an average, but I do think, or, or as I want to call it, a mean. Right. Yeah, we'll find the mean. Yeah. I think the standard deviation is going to be ridiculous. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I would say that in this comic, there it's not. There's maybe like one or two pages that have significantly less text than others uh-huh. like there's a sequence where we see mantis coming in for like the punch or whatever and we there's no text on those and for me that was one of the most impactful sections of sequential art yes and there's no text there so i i think artists who decide to write comics are better at it i think that sometimes writers think that they're very important and they need to put a lot of words on a page right and I, that's not always true. Obviously, like I said, Brian Michael Bendis like sometimes barely puts words on a page. Mm-hmm. But it, it, this time, I feel like we're we're they. I think the wordiness was because they they really wanted you to get your ten or your ten to ten to twenty cents right. worth or whatever. Right. Like they didn't want you to have to interpret the art. They're going to have the characters tell you what's happening as you see it. <laughs> they do love to do that at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is this your first, so to, to completely go away from craft a little bit. Okay. Is this your first encounter with the Defenders? Uh, yes, I think so. Which the Defenders is basically a non-team team. It is, it was originally made up of the, the, the four lonerous loners of the Marvel universe. Okay. Which was Doctor Strange. Yes. Submariner. Mm-hmm. Silver Surfer. Yes. And Hulk. You have to, I know that I have heard of the Defenders before, but this is the first time I've read anything with them. So, are those four all part of the lineup that we see in this issue? Uh, Val- we didn't have- Valkyrie has also joined the team at this point. Okay. And then Hawkeye's just hanging out. <laughs> I don't think Hawkeye is tactically part of the team, but I think maybe they needed to make things a little equal. I mean, Hawkeye was with the team before this, because... These first two respective issues are like wrapping up the previous story mm-hmm. and also going into the new story. And Valkyrie and this seems to have been created by the Enchantress somewhat or have part of the Enchantress inside of her. I couldn't. So the defen- the Enchantress needed the defenders to help her with something mm-hmm. and to get extra help took this Valkyrie persona from a Valkyrie. I don't remember exactly how, but put it in like a woman who, um, was was like i like in a i don't know if she was in a psychiatric institute but she is she has some severe mental health problems yeah and I, you know of course in, i'm sure that in in comic in true comic way it was treated with all of the respect it deserved but um <laughs> that's her whole deal she's kind of like too she's like a she's like a she's woman a gestalt entity <laughs> yeah but like the but Val- they can't the, separate yeah the valkyrie persona is like the is dominant. dominant and is in this woman's body that still to me looks very much like you would expect Valkyrie to look. Right. Okay, yeah, that's that's strange. It's a bunch. That did happen in an earlier Defenders issue. That is also why the Black Knight has been turned to stone. The Enchantress gave him a smooch that turned him to stone like a jerk. Well, why don't they just get the Enchantress to fix it? Because this makes this makes for this makes for this kind of story. <laughs> they gotta get the evil eye, which is some, this is like 
so um st- Steve Englehart seems to like continuity a lot because we even get the whole like this is how the evil eye originated, which was in a random issue of uh Jack and Stan's Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. The evil eye was like brought by this guy named Prester John, and not the Prester John that was like the so in in real life, in our reality, Prester John was a myth that medieval Europe kind of came up with. Or it was almost like an urban legend that there was this like incredibly wealthy and powerful Christian kingdom that existed in like like the Indian subcontinent. Okay. And during like cru- like crusade times and stuff, they're like, oh, like we're gonna get some help from from Prester John, maybe. But it was like you know, it, it's like it was very like like I don't think there were actual. Kings who thought that Prester John existed necessarily. It was very much like a word narrative of mouth. device. Yeah, like like people would be like, "Oh, did you hear about? You know, it's it's the Big Rock Candy Mountain or whatever." Why you got to say that? Now the song's in my head. I'm sorry. Uh, I only thought about it because our child has been watching that stop motion Easter video where they sing the Big Rock Candy Mountain. A they lot. they they do. They sure do. Or, now uh, it's in my head again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but. Um, so it, it's weird. Um, again, <laughs> I explained all that. Prester John is not that character. I think they just <laughs> thought the name was cool. Um, and the, there was the whole thing with an evil eye, and now it's six evil eyes, which look like the same as the the one all put together. And Dormammu's whole deal is he made a deal with Doctor Strange that he would never try to invade and take over the Earth. But he's like, but if I just eat the entire dimension, I won't actually invade. So he is trying this through semantics. <laughs> Uh, you know, you gotta admire that grit. Yeah. Dormammu just really wants the whole Earth. Mm-hmm. And he will use a an evil flashlight to get it. It looks like a flashlight, right? The evil eye kind of looks like a yeah. angular flashlight. Yep. 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 Looks a little bit like a plunger or a funnel, but it's it's slightly smushed <laughs> in, just, a, in a lemon shape. It's fun. It's a little weird sort of wedge. Yep. Yeah. Definitely doesn't look like anything else. Nothing else. Nothing at all. Um, so I I kind of love the idea of the Defenders. I've not read a ton of their comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the idea of that that team as a team. I like all the Doctor Strange magical mythos that we get. Like seeing Dormammu, I'm like, oh, Dormammu, that's great. That's fun. Yeah. So I always think that's an interesting side to the, the superheroing in the Marvel Universe. Oh, you you would love like the really classic Doctor Strange stuff where he goes I on weirdo adventures. I might get lost in it, but I don't know that I would hate that. Um, they were started as backups, so they're they're very individually short. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I I like Doctor Strange's whole deal too. I I really liked Doctor Strange when I came into comics. I have mm-hmm. since kind of um, I feel like gotten a little tired of his deal because right. he used to be. When I was getting into comics, he didn't have his own book, so he was like a feature. He'd like mm. show up occasionally in something. Uh, and be like, oh yeah, it's it's the Sorcerer Supreme. Right, right. Ugh. Currently, he just started a new book, but he, I don't think he had his own title until like the one that you read recent that was recently coming out. Like it took a while. Oh, wow. He'd be in minis occasionally. Hmm. Um. Yeah, but he's a fun presence in the the Defenders. I I. Don't feel like I'm very familiar with Hawkeye as he's written here. He's he's like a he's a former criminal, so he's supposed to be like he's almost like a dude with a tude sort of thing. Oh, which I don't. Is that how is that 
like the same Hawkeye that is in comics currently? Yeah. So the the run that Fraction and Aha did really like redefined Clint as more of like a like every man who is set upon rather than like criminal trying to turn turn into a good guy. Okay. So in some ways, it almost feels like a different character. Yeah. And like this, this is not the voice I expected to come from Hawk. It's very consistent throughout all of the issues. I'm like, right. I know who this character is, but I didn't know that character as Hawkeye. Right. So that was kind of an interesting change mm-hmm. there. I mean, not change. It wasn't a change then. It was no. an interesting difference for me to see. Yeah. And then Avengers, who do we have? We don't have all the classic of it. We don't have all the founding Avengers on this. No, because, well, I mean, Hulk's part of the Defenders. So th- there's one. Right. Uh, no longer has um, Doesn't like have Wasp. Wasp or Giant Man or Ant-Man or whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, it even doesn't have, it does still have Scarlet Witch, but not Quicksilver, who right. is a very early Avengers member. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has Black Panther now, who originated in Fantastic Four comics. Right. But it does still have, it still has like, so the the idea of a Marvel Trinity didn't exist until like somewhat recently, but it, the Marvel the Avengers Trinity of Cap, Thor, Iron Man it does have all of them, mm-hmm. and just kind of some some different stuff. Mm-hmm. What is it? We've got we've got Mantis and Swordsman who are very much feel like the feature of the week. I was surprised to see Mantis because my exposure to Mantis has been in the MCU. Yeah, and she's like, she kind of becomes a space character in this in Englehart's Avengers. Mantis mm. is very much an Englehart pet character. Okay. Um, and so is Swordsman to some extent. But you know how we read we we recently read recently. God, it's been like a a year or two. <laughs> Remember Empire? Yes. The yeah. bad guy in Empire was Swordsman and Mantis's kid. Oh yes, yes. Was that event last summer? The uh, summer before last. I think it might have been 2020. Oh, gosh. Because it was starting to be previewed while, like, at C2E2 when we were there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know, time flies, oh, right? Oh, no. I said recently, like, it was two entire years I ago. do remember that. A child of... Ma- oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. She's okay. the celestial Madonna. Right, which she is not here. Not yet. Not yet. But... She has these ill-defined powers. Right. She's not an alien. Like, that's that's something that... that but she's got the antenna. She does have the antenna. So it's not really defined mm-hmm. how her powers work or what her whole deal is. She's just from another culture, and that's enough to make her otherworldly. There's definitely, like, some, like, she seems East Asian. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, stuff rega- like stuff attached to that in this comic that I kind of kept, like, irking it, me. It was like, uh, She refers to herself as this one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a little strange. Um, Swordsman barely in this comic, which I which is interesting because he, the whole thing starts with like, oh, he's a criminal. So I like how the, each teams have their weird reformed criminals. They've got mm-hmm. their Hawkeyes and their their swordsmen. One's got a bow and one's got a sword. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really honest with you. I often confuse the Black Knight and the Swordsman. That's fair. Mm-hmm. There is also a newer character in Marvel who was specifically created. To sort of open up Marvel a little bit more to a Chinese market. Okay. So the art style is different. There's also a character named Arrow who did this, who is kind of the same, the same thing. Okay. That character's name is Sword Master. Why would they do this to me? <laughs> oh, not confusing at all. Yeah, and those those characters kind of, I I feel like did not did not last like like maybe Marvel wanted mm-hmm. them to. You know, it was a try. 
Now, one thing about these issues that I kind of like in a way is how each seems to kind of pick off or pick up where the run left off. Like we're wrapping up kind of storylines and things are happening. Like we're picking up the story already in motion. So it feels like it's part of a run. And yes, it's a deviation a little bit from that run, but it not really. It is a true crossover. It's not an event. The Avengers feel more slightly more derailed than did the Defenders. Whereas the Defenders were like, well we gotta we, we right. we've been working to turn this guy into Knotstone. And the Avengers are just kind of looking for him because he Black Knight used to be an Avenger. Right. So but Engelhart's doing both. So you it's it's hard to say like, oh these his plans got derailed when it's like Right. No, he like this he probably wanted to cross over with his titles because he just wanted to. Right. So yeah, that that's interesting that he was on both titles at the time. So it it makes perfect sense as this this crossover. Right. Here. And the art styles were so house at the time that even like the art differences to me don't read super no. different. So we don't right. we don't have that more, more modern problem with which is like art identities feeling kind of strange. Right. Right. When everybody has to draw the Marvel way, mm. then you can do these things. Right. We should go back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, and instead of the Marvel way, can it be like the Pepe Larraz way? <laughs> everybody has to do it. Some people are... There is some art now that feels like the Pepe Larraz way, uh, to be totally, totally honest with you. Uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery? Well, I once heard that everybody who tries art and everybody who tries writing is basically failing to imitate their what they consider their f- their their favorite or ideal artist or writer. Huh. That's kind of a, a nice way to look at it. Yeah. And in 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 but failing is maybe a weird way to look at it because it's failing makes it sound like they're not succeeding at being identical, but, but they are imitating what they consider great. Right. And in in such and that that difference between perfect imitation is what your style becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the people who can perfectly imitate, they go to Vegas. <laughs> Why do they go to Vegas? I just I feel like there's a real space for that there. For... We're not we're, we're talking about all forms of art. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> what? Impersonators. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was my thought process. Okay. If you can if you can do Elvis perfectly, you're going to Vegas. You're going to Vegas, baby? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, my mind made a couple jumps there that you did not follow. It's all right. <laughs> did you did you like the the setup for this or like the structure of this or do you feel like it was kind of like that we've seen this before with remember contest of champions where it was like here's fight 1, here's fight 2. Mm-hmm. That's what, kind of what we're doing here. I don't know if I love that, but I wonder if it's going to like break down as time goes on. Right, if it'll become more integrated. I kind of like seeing, all right, this is kind of a little story where these characters interact and have an altercation rather than getting, like, full teams, like, all the characters. That's this- fine. I think I would have just preferred something slightly more fluid. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's this is very, like, this is a very structured comic booky sort of deal. So. Right. I think if you were plotting this event out and you were, were trying to think of, like this very structured part of my brain which you know my brain's very structured and organized it likes it's it's the tism it likes the organization (laughs) of this sure it is not averse to that like it makes sense to my brain christy neurodivergent brain is like "Mm, yes (laughs) 
we have done three. Then we will do three more. <laughs> I just imagine if AVX, if it would have just been 12 issues of one Avenger taking on one X-Men all at once, <laughs> you would have been like, this is, this is a masterpiece. You say that like it's a joke, but think about what beautiful character development we could have had if ever if each of those two characters would have had like a whole issue dedicated to their their juxtaposition. Well, they in, there is a, an offshoot of Avengers versus X Men that is I forget what it's called, but it's literally just some fights. So maybe you'd prefer that. <laughs> All right, are we ready to get into our accolades? Yeah, let's do some accolades. Christy, what's the best line in the, these four issues of comic? So my best line comes from Hawkeye, the Submariner, when he's possessed, says, on your feet, Bowman. And Hawkeye says, what for, fish face, so I can fall farther when you punch my fool head? <laughs> I love that. Um, Hawkeye, like I said, he's really a dude with a dude, right? Right? Yeah. Mine comes from the Hulk. Um Strange and Silver Surfer are really mean to Hulk, right? Like, they're like, they're really mean to him. And they're like, Hulk's very uncooperative. He is very uncooperative. But they're like, Hulk, how long ago was this? And Hulk says, Hulk does not understand time. (laughs) I love that too. (laughs) So good. I like to pretend he does. He just did not want to. Willfully ignorant. It's so good. (laughs) It's like when the kid, when a kid asked me, hey, Ms. Edelman, what time is it? And, I'm just like, that is going to be my new response. This little man does not understand time. Instead of my default, there's a clock right there. Because oh. that's always followed by, I don't know how to read that kind of clock. Our kindergartner does know how to read that. Or I'm sorry, our first grader does know how to read that kind of clock. I asked him, and he's like, yeah, I know how to read that kind of clock, mm-hmm. Dad. So mm-hmm. I don't know why your middle schoolers don't. It's not like they don't teach it anymore. Willful ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about the greatest hero? Um, this is, I considered everybody in this to be kind of a mess. Uh-huh. You have things like Mantis calling a guy. So there, a guy comes out the back of his house and there's people shooting laser beams at each other and doing all sorts of stuff. And he tries to like, he, he takes aim with his shotgun and she calls him a fool. And I want to be like, you're in his yard. Like maybe, maybe dude shouldn't blast the shotgun at all times. Okay. This is hilarious to me because I give Mantis greatest hero for, for that moment where she saves Dr. Strange and Black Panther from I mean, the it, shotgun it was blast. A, it was a good save. I just like, it's funny to me that superheroes will like mess with people and then be like, why are the people being like this? <laughs> but anyway, mine is the Black Knight for generally not being involved. <laughs> Black Knight is like, it's very dark and scary in here. Please send help. And Dormammu and Loki are like, get the evil eye. <laughs> like, poor Black Knight. Oh, oh, well, with that noted as my greatest hero, that's also my coolest moment. I talked about how I loved that sequence of panels uh, of Mantis running to save uh, Doctor Strange and Black Panther. And so for me, that was the the coolest moment, her running up to save them, saving them from the gunshot. Mm-hmm. Like, these two super powerful, very capable heroes are just about to get blasted by a shotgun, totally unawares, mm-hmm. master of the mystical arts. Like, what? <laughs> and Mantis saves them. So I'm like, good job. Good yeah. job. 
I'm not saying like people should just randomly shoot people in their yard, but like it is weird that they fight in this man's backyard and are like, why is this man upset? <laughs> Um, my coolest moment is the volcano fight um, between volcano Vision fight. and Surfer. I really thought that cool. was really rad. It was just like lava flying everywhere and then like desperately trying to grab stuff. And I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. I do love that it was just a, it was just a big understanding because Silver Surfer is just a goober and accidentally caused a little mini volcano eruption. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that. Vision assumes that the volcano was set off specifically as an offensive against. <laughs> what? Him. What if it would have just been random because it, that was an active volcano? Right. And sometimes they just shoot a little bit of lava. <laughs> I like Vision. You're maybe a little bit smarter than this. Well, it does talk about like he's normally very logical, but his his he's Wanda over- was hurt. Yeah, his yeah. Wanda. <laughs> All right, what about the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? The Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy goes to the Red Ghost for not being able to control his body without cosmic (laughs) rays and just falling flat on his face. (laughs) That's pretty great. I gave mine to the Troglodytes as a concept. I do like they they basically threatened them with, with, he's like, if you don't talk to me, I'm going to give you more poop gas or whatever. Enough of this stuff will kill you. Like, they bring out the poop gas. It's great. How do they survive the poop gas? I ask myself the same question after I leave the bathroom. Oh, Christy. <laughs> All right. The QC Award is an award that we give to a moment that is would be most enhanced by uh, thus becoming a musical number. Mm-hmm. So I gave my QC to two specific moments that I felt like were similar that I thought uh, could do really well as a musical number or musical number in a reprise. But the the vision deciding that the uh, defenders were against them while Dr. Strange deciding that the Avengers were against them and the, like the misunderstanding. I feel like the misunderstanding needed a song. I like it. I think the misunderstanding is the name of a song in a musical. And I can't remember which one. I'm sorry. I'm sure we'll think of it. Yes. What about your QFC? Uh, the Avengers trying to get into the Sanctum Sanctorum and just being thrown out a bunch. I think that would have made a fun, like, oh like my gosh, call and yeah, response. Like, Thor, like, bust down the door. Yeah, and then Wong's like, I'm sorry, uh, what? <laughs> they just, you just see him, like, float out on a gust of wind. It's so good. <laughs> um. What about Down With This Ship? Can I tell you mine first? Yeah. Down With This Ship is, of course, we are, we ship... Two characters in this crossover. It does not have to be romantic or friendship. Mine is Loki Dormammu. I like the odd coupleness of their villain team up. Oh, oh, yeah. And, mm. But I mean, Loki does betray Dormammu. That's just part of the fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will go down with the Vision Wanda ship because oh, okay. we, you know, we had the 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 Vision, you know, compelled by his love, and I, I'm I'm a sucker for it. Do you like that um, we don't like for some reason they can never think of anything for Wanda to do, so she just gets to pass out or whatever. Like she doesn't even fight. It's a real bummer. Oh crap! Now that you pointed it out, I feel <laughs> really bad about it. Oh. It's okay. Oh, you're so right. Let's move on to the goodest hit. And let, speaking of Thor busting down the door, that was my goodest, goodest hit. hit. The the choom. The choom. The choom of, of Thor busting down Just the door was my goodest hit. Mine was um, Namor punching Atuma after he is no longer um, mind-controlled. It's one of those, like, 
dead center namor is in the background with like the punch and atuma's like flying oh yeah those are good those are always good hits all right well uh readers we do have another part of avengers defenders Mm -hmm. and if you've got questions for us uh, make sure you're following us on twitter so you can chime in with those questions uh, and we will answer those when we record yeah we'll probably put those up mm, like next weekend like oh wait this episode comes out on friday it would be next yeah next weekend Mm-hmm. Boom. Love that. So be looking out for that. Uh, so you can ask us all of your Avengers and Defenders questions and maybe ask Chris why he lied, why he lied <laughs> about the existence of... Secret Wars is the first big event comic. I it should is. have said that. It is. It is the first big... And this is not an event. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is not. It is a crossover, but it's not an event. True. So Secret Wars is the first big crossover event. Yeah, there were actually uh, like... Lots of crossovers. Tons. <laughs> We've read many other crossovers. We've read older things. We've read Batman and the Batman and Superman yeah, that was in like crossovers. The 50s. <laughs> that was way before this. Yeah. I just like giving you a hard time. I know you do. <laughs> and if you want to give us a hard time, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod. Please don't give us a hard time. You can send us those longer form messages at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. Um, if you want to check out uh, our writing and the where we post the podcast, we are um, at Comics XF. Um, and if you want to support us financially, um, you can do so on Kofi and Patreon. Links in the show notes. A lot of those tiers on Patreon have been retired, though, as the show draws to a close. As always, thank you for listening, readers. And until next time, slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>